Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's hard to believe it's mid-August already. Kiddos in Alabama even have gone back to school, haven't they? Yeah, they've been in school for a week now, two weeks. No way, really? Wow. Yeah, Yeah, I guess I remember you saying that, yeah. Well, some of them, it depends on where they're at. Like some schools started last week and then other schools started the week before. Oh, wow. Out here in Washington, they don't start until, um, gosh, I think it's the week after next, I think. Man, I feel like our summers get shorter every year. I kind of wonder if it's because of the seasons. So because our summers start uh, later and our winters kind of start earlier, <laughs> they Maybe. let the kids stay out longer or something because of the weather, you know, and that sort of thing, just so they feel like they have a summer. I don't know. Maybe so. But school always means it's getting closer to football season. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite things. That football. Yeah. We're already, we're already watching uh, NFL preseason. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Have you seen the Johnny Manziel documentary? Oh, no. Uh Uh-uh. Out on Netflix. That's a hot mess. Ooh. Well, that's something I'll have to check on. Yeah. We'll chat about that after you've watched it. Yeah. So we're bringing you the cold cases we currently have on our list who disappeared, were murdered, or the victim of a suspicious death in the month of August, our August Remembrances. Please remember to do what you all do so well by sharing these cases to keep their names out there and say prayers or do what you do in support of the families of these lost people. Also, keep in mind, as you hear their names and listen to the summary of their cases, if you remember any piece of information, please reach out. We'll have the contact information for each case in the episode description. Gabby Young. Our first and most recent case in August is Gabby Young, Though most would say the case is not cold, it has been two years with no arrest and the public's help with information and pressure on law enforcement to make an arrest is imperative. On August 11, 2021, Gabby was thrown from a moving vehicle in Theodore on Swedetown Road and Gray Davis Road. A witness reported an erratic driver in a truck with the passenger door open. When Mobile PD arrived, they found 26-year-old Gabby lying unconscious in the roadway with severe head injuries and the driver nowhere to be found. A nearby surveillance camera captured the vehicle as it kept driving away. Gabby was airlifted to Sacred Heart in Pensacola, but a month later passed away from her injuries. Mobile PD stated from the beginning that the case was being investigated as an assault, but very little information has been released due to the pending investigation. Her family and friends have been very outspoken about what happened, and it has been generally accepted that her relatively new boyfriend beat her violently while in his truck and eventually forced her out of the moving vehicle. At some point, he obtained a lawyer and seemingly has not spoken to law enforcement since. We looked for more current information since we first shared her case last year, but we've not found any updates. This was confirmed by some social media posts from her family in the last few months that, to date, no charges have been filed. Gabby was a mother of five young children, ages 10, 7, 4, almost 2, and 9 months old at the time of her death. Her mother tells how she was just meant to be a mom and was wonderful with her kids. Her family is pleading with the Mobile Police Department and or the Mobile District Attorney for help to finally bring Gabby justice and make an arrest. If you saw something, if someone involved told you something, if you've got pictures, text messages, anything— 
please contact Mobile Police Department. Andrew Setliff. Eight years ago, on August 7th, 2015, 54-year-old Andrew Setliff of Nauvoo in Walker County, Alabama, was last seen walking his dog near his Ripley Road home. His dog later returned without him. Searches of the area have been conducted, but almost seven years later, Andrew has still not been located. Andrew is not listed in the ALEA database, and his name does not appear in the NamUs database. And we rechecked this after the last time that we posted on our Facebook page, and it still is true. He is still not. I believe he has been resubmitted to NamUs, but that submission has not been approved. That's just crazy. In our research, we found references to NamUs and confirmed with his family that he was, at one point, listed in NamUs, but no longer is. And we're not sure why he isn't. At the time of his disappearance, Andrew was reported to be approximately 5 foot 9, 170 pounds, with blue eyes and strawberry blonde hair that may have started growing thin and possibly graying, and frequently wore a beard and a mustache that were also graying. If you have any information, please contact Walker County Sheriff. Tabitha Franklin. On August 13, 2009, Tabitha Franklin vanished from the Vinemont West Point area in Coleman County. She was last seen at a home on County Road 1136 in Vinemont, where she reportedly had been living. Supposedly, she called an ex-boyfriend for a ride. He claimed that he picked Tabitha up and took her to Hueytown, where he dropped her off at his place of employment and then left to run errands. He further claimed that when he returned, Tabitha was gone. Investigators have stated they believe foul play was involved. Numerous searches have taken place over the years, but none of those searches have led to Tabitha or any additional information. Fourteen years later, Tabitha's family, especially her three children, continue their search for Tabitha, for answers, and for justice. For a more in-depth review of her case, we featured Tabitha in Episode 7 of Unforgotten. At the time of her disappearance, Tabitha had medium-length blonde hair and blue eyes. She had multiple tattoos, including an angel on her right arm, a rose on her right ankle, a scroll on her left arm, and a butterfly between her shoulder blades. She was also believed to be wearing a black medium-length dress. If you have any information related to the disappearance of Tabitha Franklin, please contact the Coleman County Sheriff's Office. Shannon Polk, it has been 22 years just yesterday, today for our Patreon listeners, that 11-year-old Shannon Nicole Polk of Prattville was taken from her family. On August 16th in 2001, after her mother left for work, Shannon was up early and out to play and visit with her friends and neighbors in the Candlestick Mobile Home community, as she often did. She left her sister to sleep in, which is also something she usually did. When her mom returned home at 3 o'clock p.m., Shannon hadn't been back home yet. The whole community joined the family to look for her by about 9 p.m. Many searches had occurred, and no one was able to locate Shannon until seven weeks later when her body was discovered off a trail in a hunting preserve by two rabbit hunters. She was found about 15 miles north of her home. Shannon would be 33 now. A storeroom of evidence and documents has accumulated at the Prattville Police Department, There have been many likely suspects. There has even been a grand jury review of all of the information and evidence, but no arrests. If you have any information, please contact the Prattville Police Department. 
Holly Paul. 24 years with nearly no information on her case, Holly Paul was last seen on August 29, 1999 at the Scottish Inn Motel in Mobile, Alabama. She was a resident of Florida at the time, and we're assuming that means that she was just visiting. Uh, Maybe she had moved over here and hadn't permanently transferred her residency to Alabama. I'm not really sure. It's not really clear. Right, yeah. A somewhat conflicting bit of information is that the NCIC entry for Holly from Mobile Police Department says she was last seen on May 24th, 1999. So there's kind of a few months difference there. Yeah, I'm not sure why. I don't know if she disappeared before somebody, or maybe some, maybe the report was taken on August 29th and it was misconstrued that she was last seen. Then I don't know. It's kind of an odd timing difference, especially with how long it is between. I know. you. Maybe they could track it back to that people actually like could physically say they saw or like confirmed sighting was May 24th. Mm-hmm. But then you would think reported missing would be better than last seen on August 29th. So that's yeah. kind of some strange wording. I don't really know. That is a little bit odd. And it's so long ago, I don't know if anybody is around to really know at this right. point. At the time of her disappearance, Holly was described as a Caucasian female with hazel eyes, standing about 5'6 and around 140 pounds. When she was last seen, she had reddish-brown hair. At 35 years old, at the time of her disappearance, she would be 59 now. If you know Holly Paul or anything about her disappearance, please contact Mobile Police Department. Kimberly Lauren Raymer. In Op, Alabama, on Friday, August 15, 1997, a neighbor saw 17-year-old Kimberly Raymer, or Kim, arrive home just before midnight after a baseball game and hanging out with friends and visiting her boyfriend. Only a few minutes from her house, it was confirmed that she left her boyfriend's home in time to make it home by her midnight curfew. The signs were there that she had been getting ready for bed, but also signs of a possible struggle in her room. Later, they would find phone calls that were made to a number that Kim would definitely not know. With Kim at the age that she would be a senior and very independent, and a bit because her parents were divorced, so she split time between their homes in Op and Leona, Florida, They didn't come to the conclusion that she was missing until Sunday, and none of her friends had seen her since Friday. They reported her missing to the police right away once they realized this, and since many large-scale searches have taken place. In some of the searches, there were several odd circumstances surrounding the scene at the house, and a grand jury met in 2021 to review this evidence. So far, there have been many suspects, but no arrests have been made in her case. For a more in-depth review, we covered Kim's case in Episode 6 of Unforgotten. Kimberly Raymer is a Caucasian female who was 17 years old with brown hair, standing about 5 foot 4 and 130 pounds when she disappeared. She had brown eyes and may have been wearing a white t-shirt with a brightly colored design and the words New Orleans on the front. Also, possibly gray sweatpants, a gold necklace, and a gold ankle chain bracelet. She also had clear braces on her teeth at the time she disappeared and pierced ears. It has now been 26 years since Kimberly vanished. If you know anything, please contact the Federal Bureau of Investigation or the Op Police Department. Hewlin Hardwick Jr. We just covered his case last week in Episode 23 of Unforgotten, and I need to make kind of an amendment because I completely mispronounced his name. I said Whalen but it's actually Hewlin, and we'll go back and add something at the beginning of the episode 
to correct that, and I sincerely apologize to his family. I should have checked that beforehand. We're human, I guess. Kind of embarrassing, and I feel terrible about that. Me too. We do encourage you, though, to go back and listen for more in-depth information on his case. Around 11.30 p.m. on August 5th, 1997, 28-year-old Hewlin and Evanda Parker were sitting in his car in Evanda's driveway on South Street when a man approached the driver's side of Hewlin's 1986 Chevy Z28 and fired multiple shots into the vehicle. Hewlin received injuries from at least three of the shots fired, resulting in his death. The medical examiner classified his death as a homicide. In order to escape the scene, Evanda somehow managed to lean over to the driver's area from the passenger seat press the gas with her hand, and steer the car out of the driveway and down the road. And then, presumably, she called the police, though there's not really any information on exactly who called the police. According to a newspaper article printed at the time, 23-year-old Willie McLean turned himself into Birmingham Police Department. But somehow, he was eventually released, and Hewlin's family says the case effectively went cold, and no one was ever held responsible for Hewlin's death. 26 years unsolved now. Please contact Birmingham Police Department if you know anything so Hewlin's family can finally find a small piece of justice. David Martin. David's case is another one with very little information. On August 19, 1983, 31-year-old David Martin left his home in West Jasper to travel to Nauvoo with another man, 21-year-old John McGann. It was only two days later when David's burned-out Dodge Charger was found near a Naboo strip mine. Forty years have passed, and neither man has been located. Oddly, we have not been able to find any information on John McGann at all so far. We'll keep researching and let you know if we discover more information for a future update. David Martin has two sons and 13 brothers and sisters, of whom many have passed away since he went missing without knowing what happened. David took care of his ill mother, who has also since passed away, and family says he would never have left the area willingly with her and his family there. David is a Caucasian male with brown hair and brown eyes and maybe wearing a goatee-style beard and mustache. At the time he left, he weighed about 135 pounds and was about 5 foot 8 inches. If you have any information about David Martin or John McCann, contact the Walker County Sheriff's Office or you can reach out to the ACCA's website online and we'll get the information to the right people. Diana Avera. In early August of 1982, 22-year-old Diana Lee Vera disappeared from Searcy Hospital, a psychiatric hospital in Mount Vernon, Alabama, in Mobile County. Diana had been diagnosed years before with paranoid schizophrenia, and she had been in and out of Searcy for treatment since 1972. Her family described her appearing heavily medicated, barely able to speak, and acting like a zombie not long before her disappearance. They are not confident she left voluntarily, as she had been too lethargic to attempt that in their opinion. The hospital investigator gave the family the impression the case was being actively investigated for years. In truth, little to no investigation was done. In 2020, Diana's niece Amanda discovered that her aunt had never been reported missing to the police or sheriff's department. So 38 years after Diana vanished, Amanda filed a formal missing person report. 
Though there had been some people in her life that could be considered of interest, the now open and active investigation has been slow, with no formal suspects or theories shared by law enforcement, and Diana remains missing. Diana is a Caucasian female with hazel eyes. At the time of her disappearance, she was between 5 foot and 5 foot 3 and weighed 100 to 120 pounds, and she had strawberry blonde hair. If you have any information regarding Diana Avera, who would now be 63 years old, or what may have happened to her, please contact Detective J.T. Thornton with the Mobile County Sheriff's Office. Carla Corley. 43 years ago, 14-year-old Carla Corley disappeared from her Birmingham home in Jefferson County sometime in the late night to early morning hours of either August 12th or 13th in 1980. Though much of the information surrounding her disappearance is very suspect, the case reports that her mother woke up due to hearing the TV turn off. When she went out to check on it, she states that she found the door of their home wide open, furniture overturned, and no Carla. Unconfirmed stories surfaced that not long before she vanished, a group of men kidnapped Carla and raped her at Lake Purdy before returning her home. In 2012, it wasn't stated that it was related to the incident, but the Birmingham Police Department told media that they had a suspect in mind, but lacked the evidence to name them or file charges. We also covered the case of Carla Corley in episode 22. Check that out to learn more about this case. Carla is a Caucasian female with brown hair and hazel eyes, approximately 5 foot 3 and 130 pounds at the time she disappeared. It was believed she was wearing blue corduroy pants and a navy blue blouse with a Peter Pan collar, a silver turquoise ring, and possibly be carrying a brown knit purse. If you have any information regarding Carla's case, please contact Birmingham Police Department or Crime Stoppers. Our last case for August is 46-year-old missing person Christopher Lurette from New Orleans, who was working a temporary job in the town of Bruton, Alabama. 27-year-old Christopher was last seen around 12.30 a.m. on August 19, 1977. He was spotted at the Silver Dollar Lounge at the Ramada Inn. Christopher was supposed to be leaving to return home to New Orleans in an Otis Engineering work truck with the company name on the doors. What happened is very unclear, but Christopher never made it home. His truck was found in Emory, Texas, wrecked with another person who had been driving the truck. At first pass, we could not find anything stating what occurred with the police at the time they discovered this person and the truck, nor how he came to have the truck. But Christopher was nowhere to be found. Christopher and his wife Elizabeth had three small children at the time, the investigation seemed to completely stall, and in 1987, his family had declared him legally dead. They waited until 2008, though, to hold a memorial service for him. Chris is a Caucasian male with dark blonde hair and brown eyes. He stood about 5'10 and weighed about 160 pounds when he went missing. He had a few tattoos, an eagle on his right arm, and the names Liz, Michelle, and Sean on his right forearm. We included his story because he was last seen in Alabama, and it's unknown where he went missing exactly. And 46 years is a really long time with no answers. If you remember anything about Chris's case, if you may have been at the Silver Dollar Lounge in 1977 on August 18th, that evening or the early morning of the 19th, if you remember seeing an Otis Engineering truck in Bruton, Alabama, Emory, Texas, or New Orleans, or 
anywhere in between on August 18th or after, or just really if you have any information, please contact the Louisiana State Police. It's so sad when you have such a, a case that's been going on for so long. It's nearly 50 years. I know, and that is one of those where that's almost like searching a needle in a haystack. because three states. Yeah, he was last seen in Bruton, but when did it say that his truck was found? Uh, I don't know that it said. Yeah, I don't think it actually gave a date when it was found. I don't think it was that long after, but it's still, you know. And it passed. It, yeah. it passed where he lived. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's you got to. That's not just three states. That's four states because you got to go from oh, yeah. Alabama through Mississippi through Louisiana through Texas. That's true. So, I mean, that's a long way. And you don't know if maybe you know. There's speculation. I'm sure that could he when he was at the Silver Dollar Lounge that maybe he saw somebody there and they followed him out and that it yeah. may have happened right there yeah. or he could have stopped for gas somewhere anywhere along the way before he got home and something happened with his I'm car. guessing since the guy found driving the truck mm-hmm. when it was wrecked um, since it's unknown how he actually came to be in possession of the truck yep. I'm assuming that means he was not an Otis engineering employee I'm going to, by the way they phrase that, I'm going to assume that's the case. Yeah. Um, they never did name who it was in right. any of the articles I saw. So, yeah. So you can guess or assume maybe that it was stolen. Yeah. And we don't even know if that person may have happened upon his van, you know, and stole it. Yeah. And yeah. He, Christopher was already like maybe gone. Maybe it was just sitting somewhere. You yeah. Know? It could have very well been that. He could have not had anything to do with Christopher's disappearance, just van being in possession. I wonder how they know that he was last seen. Where did the time from the 1230 on August 19th, where'd that come from? Yeah. The only thing I can think of. Like other people, like witnesses saw him there, but did he Yeah, or the bartender or, you know, that sort of thing. Which direction did he go in? Mm, Like, was he staying in the Ramada Inn? So did they, you know, see him go to his room? Did anybody there see him leave to know which direction he went in? Like the next morning or anything like that? I mean, I'm assuming not since they're saying this was the last time he was seen. But Yeah. And I'm guessing if he was somebody traveling, he probably was staying at the Ramada Inn and that was just where he was. I wonder if there were other engineering guys that were working there at the time. Yeah. And that would be a good thing if any of you out there did work for Otis, you know, way back then. Um, Yeah. If you, you know, would know if anybody else was in the area or, yeah, or if he was just solo doing this trip, but. Was it maybe like he, well, it was a temporary job in Bruton. So I was going to say, was he traveling through and maybe just stopped there for the night? But mm-hmm. since it was actually for a job in Bruton, I'm going to assume that maybe there were other people with the crew that were also working. So, mm-hmm. um, Or even somebody that, you know, that lived there in Bruton on whatever job that he was. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It seems like there's a lot of avenues that may or may not have been investigated but just not reported on at least right and that's Mm. an older case so you know that's one of those things that we talked about recently about it's paper Mm -hmm. yeah and have they pulled out that file since then or yeah paper gets lost over the years paper gets messed up over the years it's not yeah um you know heavy duty it's not like a computer file that you can just pull up and look right right 
thank you for listening today, and thank you for being an advocate for these missing or murdered persons and their families. Please share their stories, and please make contact with authorities or with us if you have any information. As a reminder, the contact information will be listed in the episode details. Take care. Since Alabama Cold Case Advocacy's creation, we have dedicated innumerable hours to researching and networking in an effort to provide the largest platform we can to the cases we share. We shoulder all associated expenses with Alabama Cold Case Advocacy out of our own pocket, including the subscription fees for researching and production of the Unforgotten podcast to provide a cost-free avenue for the victims' families of those cases. We hope you will join in our efforts to raise awareness of Alabama's missing and murdered and support these families who have been forced to carry the immeasurable loss of their loved ones and the fight for answers. If you appreciate our mission and you are inspired to make a donation, your extra support will enable the ACCA to continue our research, share the cold cases, and help those families know that they are also unforgotten. Be sure to join our Unforgotten Patreon channel today to gain exclusive benefits, including early access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. By subscribing, you'll also be supporting the efforts of ACCA in assisting families in raising awareness for Alabama cold cases. Unforgotten is an Alabama cold case advocacy podcast recorded in conjunction with Riverside FM, hosted and distributed by Spotify for podcasters, available on your favorite podcast platform. Intro music for the show was created by Principles of Uncertainty, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Content and production is by Sellers and Stormy. Artwork by Sellers. Credits for music, sound clips, special mentions, and any source referenced in our podcast can be found in each episode's description. We hope you will join us on all the major social media sites and continue to raise awareness of our Alabama cold cases. Until next time, thank you for listening, and remember, justice may be delayed, but the victims and their families remain. Unforgotten.